this is normal now. Um, our consumer has totally changed mm -hmm. and certainly the adoption of um, digital delivery and pickup behavior was accelerated uh, by the pandemic, but I don't think it was created by the pandemic. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined today by the incredible duo, Carl Osborne and Meredith Sandlin, the authors of the number one bestseller on Amazon, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. I'm sure you've seen it on LinkedIn. Incredible book. Uh, Meredith has experience at Bain, Yum Brands, as COO of Kitchen United. Carl was head of retail for BP for 18 years and then VP of Kitchen United. And they teamed up together to create this incredible book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Carl, Meredith, thank you for joining us today on Give Innovation. Yeah, we are Thanks so excited much. to be here. So first of all, how does this work? Being co-authors, like co-leaders, co-thought thought experts, like how does this work with you guys? Well, I think it worked really well. Uh, I am incredibly blessed to have Carl in my life since he um, is much more organized than I am, which is fantastic. Um, I don't think I ever could have written a book without him. Um, but we're also just very complimentary in our um, approaches to thinking about things and our skill sets. So we are able to leverage each other's strengths to get the book written. Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's been a fun process. Uh, obviously, writing a book during a pandemic, Zach, is actually a good pastime, quite honestly, because you can't go out <laughs> anywhere. And uh, we we found uh, there were plenty of different cloud collaboration tools uh, to be able to make it relatively seamless. And the, the good news was is that our, our kind of hypotheses on the future of food are pretty similar. So we didn't disagree on much of the content. There we go. Now, Kat Cole, the former president of Focus Brands, huge thought leader. She's a total rock star. Rock star. She said, any aspiring or current leader in the food industry will love delivering the digital uh, restaurant. It will help you build your unique vision for how a restaurant wins in the years ahead. I, I, I want to start with that idea of winning in the, in the years ahead. What in this book can you kind of tease out for us that will help restaurants win in the years ahead? Yeah, I mean, for me, it all starts with the consumer. The consumer has changed. And I hear so many restaurants say things like, oh, if VCs would just stop investing in our industry, uh, venture capitalists, then everything could go back to normal. Or once the pandemic is over, everything will go back to normal. And this is normal now. Um, our consumer has totally changed. Mm -hmm. And certainly the adoption of um, digital delivery and pickup behavior was accelerated. Uh, by the pandemic, but I don't think it was created by the pandemic. And we opened the book actually with three chapters about the consumer and what's going on with them, which at first might seem like a little bit of a non sequitur, um, particularly because one's about um, the history of the adoption of the drive-through. But uh, I think it's important to recognize that the modern consumer really is different, really does want different things. And all of this digitization is not just technology for technology's sake. It is about helping the consumer be uh, more efficient, helping them with convenience, helping them accomplish their goals. And in one of those three chapters, you specifically talk about family. 
Now, this was a really interesting chapter for me because you really talk about how the, you know, the fundamental unit of society, the family is evolving and changing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa, this is going like real meta, not like Facebook (laughs) meta. Like, you know, you're starting up pretty high here, going back into the annexes of, you know, human society uh, to talk about restaurants. So why did you feel like the family was a great uh, place to start? Yeah, well, you know, the average life expectancy has increased dramatically here in the U.S. For better or for worse. Uh, For better or for worse, (laughs) yeah. Um, And the uh, age at which people get married is later. The number of people who get married is fewer. Um, And once people are married, they have fewer kids. And what that means in total- Is a lot more Netflix, a lot less chill, right? Yeah, (laughs) what that means in total is that the percentage of the typical American's life that's spent in a nuclear family- um, with two parents and two kids uh, is very, very small, right? So even if even if you do get married, even if you do have a child, because you're getting married later in life and because you're living longer, the period of time where it's a family living together is smaller. And what that means is for the first time in American history, um, the number of single people is uh, adult single Americans is bigger than the number of married ones. Hmm. Now, what does that mean for restaurants? Seems like a really interesting fact, but is it relevant? And to me, I think um, what it means is that it is actually more efficient to have an expert in cooking, say a restaurant, do the cooking than it is if you're living in a subscale environment to go out and cook for yourself. You know, in the old days when it was grandma and grandpa, my, you know, my parents and my grandparents cooking for their two children, or uh, maybe they had three children or four children or even six children, you were cooking in a, um, at a scale that made sense for you to go to the grocery store and get all those ingredients. Yeah. I mean, you're running your own little restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Now, when I cook for just myself, you know, the odds that I buy things that spoil very high, the odds that I, um, you know, can't cook something at the right scale. And so I don't consume it all very high. And when you start to add in the cost of my time and all that waste, then you start to see, wait a minute, maybe um, going to the grocery store is actually more cost effective. I'm sorry, going to a restaurant or having delivery is actually more cost effective than going to the grocery store and cooking myself. Yeah, because I mean, I was single for a very long time. And for almost the entirety of me being single, I had a bag of quinoa, not only because I wasn't sure how to cook it and I thought it looked weird, but because I didn't want to take the time to cook it. Right. So literally for six years, I had a bag of quinoa in the back of my cupboard that I moved from apartment to apartment to apartment until I finally got married. And my wife said, throw it away. (laughs) I I thought that was going to be a story about how it was your emergency quinoa food, but instead it was a story about how you never cooked. See, you know what I mean? I I used to, cause I was like, I don't know what this Asian grain is. Like, I don't know what's, what's in quinoa. And then turns out it's not an Asian grain and (laughs) very healthy for you. But anyway, but that's, that's a great point. Like I would eat out literally over like 14 times a week on average because it, I didn't, I didn't want to do dishes. My time was more important. Um, and so I think those are just, a, it's a really interesting way to start because a lot of times you can kind of get in the rut of thinking about the, your little community, your restaurant, the thing that you're doing without taking that step back. And I loved how you guys started at such a high level to really set the foundation for let's rethink what a restaurant is because now is the time we need to rethink it because the world has changed. Yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that the book 
um, was helping restaurants understand that technology and this digital disruption wasn't happening to them by the technology companies. It's the consumer that's forcing this change. It's the societal trends that are forcing this change. And so therefore, hopefully by understanding that, it's about, okay, let's get on board. Let's understand how we can win in this space. Yeah, so pardon my English, but it's not the bloody VCs, right? It's, <laughs> I, I, mean, I assume that's offensive uh, in some areas of the world. But um, so one of the things though, is there is a lot of money being poured into this. I mean, you look at some of these brands that have raised a billion dollars, raised a billion, not spent a billion, not worth a billion, but raised a billion to do things like ghost kitchens. And the, the big question of the day is our ghost kitchens a fad? Well, I certainly don't think so. I mean, you can tell <laughs> by the fact that Carl and I both bet our, uh, our careers on ghost kitchens that we're big fans. And I think, um, you know, for me, it is about finding a more efficient way uh, to be a restaurant. And, I, you know, I talk a lot about the energy use of a ghost kitchen because it's emblematic to me of all the different kinds of efficiencies that you see in a ghost kitchen. So if I want to build a Taco Bell, um, which I've built many, um, I probably need a six or 800 amp panel um, to power that Taco Bell, that freestanding Taco Bell. If I want to do a ghost kitchen that has 15 to 20 restaurants in it, I need something less than 4,000, right? So right there, all of a sudden you can see there's a huge reduction in the amount of energy required to power that ghost kitchen. Now you take that same concept and you apply it across space, you apply it across labor, you apply it across gas, water, uh, grease trap, all of those things. And suddenly you see how much more efficient and effective this is. And that's before we even get to the delivery aspect. And of course, in delivery, the entire economics of delivery is about that delivery network and how can you have as many packages as possible riding over that delivery network. So it's about the number of drops, um, stops per hour and the number of drops per stop. Well, today in a delivery network um, for restaurants, it's all point to point delivery, pick up at one location, drop off at another, pick up at one location, drop off at another. That's an incredibly inefficient delivery network. When you can instead go to one ghost kitchen facility and pick up a whole bunch of things and then drop them off on a trip, you can see again how that drives efficiency. So, um, you know, I'm, I uh, am classically a little bit uh, overly logical about these things. And when I look at those kind of efficiencies, it's obvious to me that this is how the world is going to move. Now, how quickly does it move there? Which which um, kinds of ghost kitchens are the best kinds of ghost kitchens? I think we're still very early days uh, in the industry, but I am definitely a believer. I, I mean, I would add to, to that in the sense that we're moving into a world now, Zach, where people are expecting everything, not just food, to be delivered to them within 30, 30 minutes or so. And so the ability to have these dark retail, dark restaurant, dark kitchens located closer to where people are consuming their food is going to help enable in that. And I think um, when you consider that you've got the efficiencies that Meredith has just mentioned, you've got the proximity piece that I've just mentioned there, and then just the ancillary aspects that are really are uh, very critical to some of the biggest challenges today. You know, it's, it's, it's more labor efficient to run a ghost kitchen. You know, you don't need to have the amount of labor and staff available to be able to do that. It's easier to test and innovate new concepts in a ghost kitchen. It doesn't have to disrupt your current operation. And it's more uh, effective for the drivers to come in and actually know that at this one location, I can get in, I can get out, 
And within you know um, an hour, I can probably get more trips completed by working with ghost kitchens as opposed to traditional restaurants. And you know, the happier the drivers, the happier the eaters. You know, and there's there's a bunch of these concepts that'll actually have little treats or get a free drink when you come in, and and these little things I think really make the difference because at the end of the day, whether it's digital, physical, no matter how it is. It comes down to that food will get into that consumer's mouth. And what is their experience around that? And if a driver takes a little bit extra effort to care, um, then that experience is better. And so I think that at the end of the day, I think you guys also do a great job in this book of reminding everyone that the digital aspect of this is to augment the human aspect. You, You can't ever really fully take humans entirely out of hospitality. Um, even with, I mean, we, we work with a brand that does pizza vending machines and they still use something like ovation to text back and forth with the guests because they understand that we're not ready for fully autonomous vending machine, uh, us to robot service yet. Mm, Yeah. The, the digital hospitality game is still being enhanced even further. We have a, a chapter in the book called gig workers are the new servers, And the whole idea of that chapter is to try and explain that the driver is an extension of your brand. And a lot of restaurants find that very challenging, especially when they complain about the appearance of a driver uh, or perhaps the way in which they're treating their staff members. But we also try and put the perspective over of the importance of this from the driver's angle in the sense that they're interested in being able to arrive at a location and pick up the dish straight away and go and deliver it as opposed to waiting for 20 to 25 minutes. And a lot of these things come down to the technology that can help restaurants really understand when to start their fire time, when to be able to, uh, to channel drivers into one particular location of the restaurant to pick up the food, as opposed to disrupting the on-premise guests or the on-premise servicing uh, staff members. And, and hopefully in the book, we, we touch on the, and help people understand the importance of if you create an environment where the drivers are treated well, and if you treat them with respect, they're gonna take your plate And they're going to put it on the table, metaphorically, of that guest uh, 10 minutes away in a much better way than a driver that's perhaps treated poorly. Yeah, they probably won't take a few French fries uh, as their tip on the way either. (laughs) And and one of the things that's that's super interesting and kind of ironic about this, because I've also published a book and I understand the lead time between you put the manuscript together, you make the edits, and then you finally get it printed and get sent out. I mean, there's some lead time there. And the ironic thing about delivering the digital restaurant is the fact that it's a, it's a paperback hardcover book. Uh, but I, you know, I did buy mine on Kindle. Um, but you know, you have this, you have this physical thing and it's such a fast changing industry. So I am sure two months after you put in your final manuscript, you were already like, Oh my gosh, there's more stuff we want to, we want to add in here. Um, what, looking back from the time that you finished the manuscript until now, are there other things you wish you would have put in there? Uh, things that you've already learned or things that are already starting to shift? Yeah, I, I don't, at least for me, I don't know that there's anything that's fundamentally different, but I think there's things that happen much more quickly than we thought. Um, we started writing the book before the pandemic began. And that's uh, convenient. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, which, because all these things were true before the pandemic began, right? But the pandemic accelerated them so much. And in particular, the one that jumps out to me is virtual brands. And we have a chapter in the book on virtual brands. Um, and when I read it now, it's it's very like future oriented. Like here's all the innovators who are doing this stuff. And 
Um, someday this is going to be a big thing. Um, and in the meantime, it became a big thing, right? So last year we had so many virtual brands launch. Um, we had big brands, um, you know, someone like Chili's launching a huge virtual brand. Yeah, and Wade Allen, like, he's just rock star. Totally. Yeah, it became a very mainstream thing uh, overnight. And so while we were writing it, it was more like, oh, early days, someday this is going to be huge. And then bam, it really became a big thing. And um, that's the one that when I look back, I think, oh my gosh, we got we got more to say on that one. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. I, there's probably one chapter that we could have written as well, Zach, and, and that is um, the best way of expressing it is what you and I are on the conference circuit a lot. And when you look around a big exhibition hall and you see a restaurant owner operator looking at the plethora of various different stands and technology solutions, and it's almost deer in the headlights. And it's just, where do I start? on this technology journey. You know, I'm here at this conference. Yeah, I get it. I know I need to play in this game, but what do I do? Where, where do I start to invest in this space? Knowing now that the technology is available at a far more cost-efficient place than it was a number of years ago when only the big chains really could make this happen. Now, every single independent restaurant owner operator in America can actually use this stuff to enhance their business. But it's the overall aspects of just how on earth do I get started with this? So I think we probably could have included a chapter around um, just the amount of different technology players and how to um, best evaluate what's the right platform for you based on where you are on your level of digital maturity. Yeah, that's that's so true, because there there are some great restaurant consultants out there that can really focus on you know your tech stack. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's hard because you can have 15 conversations with 15 vendors in a single day. And at the end of each conversation, you're like, oh yeah, I want that. Oh yeah, I want that. And then it's like, well, the, the goal is taking that step back and thinking, what do you want your guest experience to be like? And then how do you utilize technology to uh, bring that world to fruition? And I think a lot of times it's tough when you go into a grocery store without a grocery list, right? Then you do what I do, which is my four-year-old and I come back, you know, with a bag full of candy and then, sorry, we forgot the milk, hun. Let me go back, right? Like that's, that's what ends up happening when you go to a trade show without the, the end result, kind of the, the vision of your guest experience you want. I forget the quinoa. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I, if, by the way, if anyone knows how to cook that stuff, let me know. Because I, I actually I, have a great recipe that involves quinoa. So I will send it to you after this. And yeah, please send it to me and I'll probably look up what restaurant makes it and go get that delivered. <laughs> probably. Yes. So probably. speaking of the guest experience, what do you guys think is the most important aspect of the guest experience nowadays? Well, for me, the aspects that we, we touch on it in the book in the sense that you've got to really remember quality is still really critical. And I, I, I still think the industry has a really important role to think about how to make the off-premise experience even more effective than it is today. You know, the, the speed of order is clearly important. The accuracy getting what you've ordered is clearly important. Those are givens. But quality, I think, is still an area which has got some opportunity, especially in the virtual brand space as well, quite honestly, um, so that someone can really enjoy their meal as if they're sitting in a restaurant themselves. So, so that would be my one. Yeah, I think that is a very good one. I think um, we also talk about the idea of the digital promise um, and then fulfilling on that digital promise. So there's a lot of attention right now, and this is you know maybe very related to what Carl's talking about with the quality, but there is a lot of attention placed to making a super sexy digital experience and having that digital experience 
um, do all of these fancy things, whether it's, um, you know, recommend a recommendation engine that uh, recommends the right product or, um, you know, ease of reorder, whatever it might be in that frictionless um, order experience that you have. And all of those things are awesome and super important. But if you can't then fulfill on that uh, digital promise and actually give to the consumer what they're expecting to receive, all of the beautiful glossy uh, digital interfaces will not make up for the fact that on the back end they've had a terrible experience. Whether that's quality, order to delivery time, accuracy, all the same things that have always mattered in the restaurant industry continue to matter. Because you know it's not like magically people are now getting, you know, there's usually around dining experience, you have about 30% of tickets that'll have some kind of an issue, but you have servers that can fix it, right? And I love the title of the book that delivering the digital restaurant, because it's not just about creating a digital restaurant or thinking or putting digital in your restaurant. You really have to deliver that. And if you, if, if that end quality, that expectation, that trust isn't delivered, then you miss the whole point. And then you're going to blame it on technology, but it's not about that, right? It's, it's about that delivery, that, that last mile, that last inch uh, which I think is so critical, which is why the more I, the more I thought about the book, the more I love the title, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, that was one that um, was excellently written during the pandemic with the use of um, a Google Doc, where we would sit with each other on Zoom and write titles and then say, oh, not that one. Oh, I like that word. Let's keep oh, that one. Yeah. Um, so going back to your original question about the, the pandemic, it is a fantastic time to be writing. Um, and even though Carl and I couldn't see each other early on in the pandemic uh, in person, we saw each other a lot on Zoom and had some great digital collaboration. Awesome. Well, real quick, what, what are some successful things that you have uh, seen restaurants do lately? So uh, I am really in right now to the idea of unboxing uh, in restaurants. Yes. Yeah. And we talk about it a bit in the book, uh, but I have seen a few examples of it recently in the wild, I'll, I'll call it, uh, where restaurants really understand that if someone's not coming into their four wall space, they need to convey the brand uh, at the consumer's home. And the best way to do that is through packaging. And it's really a fine art, right? Because you don't want to, you know, just willy-nilly slap the brand everywhere and have everything look kind of overproduced. Um, but to be able to create uh, an experience that fits with your brand and is very clearly your brand, I think is good. Um, to me, probably the best example of um, branding that fits with the brand definition is Chipotle uh, mm -hmm. and the way that they're able to make everything very clearly theirs. Um, without, you know, lots of like color ink and a bunch of things that uh, might not be ideal for the environment. That's, yeah. that's total hundred percent fit with their brand. And I always think about, I think about the, the, the Bieber benchmark. Haley Bieber was in Europe holding a Takaya bag uh, from the lunch that she had had earlier that day. And why was she carrying around this bag in Europe because it was like, it's a beautiful bag, yeah, right? And it yeah. just like, it speaks to the brand. It's high quality. It's, and uh, talking with Matt over there, it's really not that much more expensive, but now they literally were like plastered all over People Magazine and everything with Haley Bieber holding the Takaya bag, which yeah, is that's awesome. awesome. That's what you're aiming for in this, in this world where someone might never come into your restaurant. You want them still to know and love your brand, um, and a and a bag is a great way to do that. Yeah. So, 
lastly here, let me just uh, wrap this up here with one last question. Who would you guys, besides you two, because I know that Carl, you'd recommend Meredith. Meredith, you'd recommend Carl. Who should we be following in the restaurant industry? Who deserves innovation today? I want to give a shout out to uh, our friend, Sean Welchef. Um, he's Love, a Sean. Coach. You know, Sean, yeah, I think he was on your podcast, wasn't he? So um, Sean is uh, both a restaurant owner operator and someone that is doing some amazing things in a digital interface. And I just love the way in which he's helping restaurants get it. He clearly gets it, but he's 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 walking the talk. And it's great to be able to see someone like him do, do what he's doing. I think that's a really good one. Uh, you know, there's a number of people that we interviewed for the book, um, and it's hard to choose between them because I think they all had excellent perspectives and advice on what's happening. Uh, one of my favorites, though, is a woman named Jen Parker, uh, who I think is fantastic. And the reason I love her is because she talks a lot about uh, using the platforms, the third-party platforms to your advantage as a restaurant. And how, how do you set up the best um, presence on those platforms to really get out of them what you as a restaurant need? Love that. Well, um, Carl, Meredith, how do people find you, follow you? Well, they can find us obviously on LinkedIn where we're pretty present these days, but if they'd like to buy a copy through our first party platform, they can go to deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com. Of course, the book is available on Amazon too. We have an audio book coming out um, very soon as well for those of you that prefer to listen to the dulcet tones of this English gentleman. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, if people want to continue on their learning journey uh, following reading the book, we have a platform called Learn.Delivery as well, where we'll be uh, sharing some snippets of interviews that uh, we haven't been able to put into the book alongside others that have uh, got a lot of great knowledge to share. Awesome. Well, for helping me have a fantastic weekend with a fantastic read and for doing, quite frankly, the hard work to getting us to prep about a restaurant of the future. Today's ovation goes to both of you, Carl and Merida. Thank you so much for joining us on Give an Ovation today. Thanks so much for having us. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.